If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to First uh, Peter chapter 3, as we continue to work our way through First uh, Peter, and I hope that this uh, series of sermons has been helpful uh, to you. Uh, you know, as we go through books of the Bible, one of the challenges to kind of uh, not just chop it up into individual segments, but to try to get the whole flow of the book as we go through it. Now, I'll make reference to this later in the sermon itself, but just to remind you that going back into chapter 2, uh, verse 13, Peter's been talking about how it is we as believers apply our faith in different areas of life. It was how do, how do, we, how do we live in relationship to the government as Christians? How, do we, how, does, how does it look different for us than an unbeliever? And then he talked about the workplace uh, in relationships of someone having authority over another in verse 18 of chapter 2. And then he gave Christ as our example uh, at the end of that chapter. And then he moved into the home and said, well, how does, how does our faith in Christ change the way that we relate to each other in the home? Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and all the rest. Well, now as he comes to uh, where we opened up this morning in verse 8, He's going to kind of tie that all together a little bit, okay, and and kind of summarize. So that's where we are. We're going to pick up with verse 8 and read through verse 12, and that'll be our text for the morning. And as a reader, remember, this is God's Word. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for their purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous And his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we turn our attention to your word. We we know that this is a very important time in all of our lives as we come face to face with uh, the living and abiding word of of God. We know that uh, it is through this book that you bring us to faith in Christ. It is through this book that you build us in our faith in Christ. It is through this book that you mold us and shape us into the people you would have us to be. And so I pray this morning you would take uh, your word, which is the sword of the Spirit, and that you would use it in our lives, that you would show us areas where we need to change, and that you would give us grace by the Holy Spirit to do it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a very common experience today to have someone tell you, have a blessed day. Some of you have shared that or told that to me, and it's a very thoughtful and caring way to express your interest in and your concern for someone else. I'm always appreciated when someone tells me, have a blessed day, you know, even, even people you don't know, strangers, people at the gro- in the uh, clerks at the grocery store, 
sometimes will say, now you have a blessed day. Well, a good question to consider is, just what is a blessed day? Just what are these people asking for, for you, when they tell you, now you have a blessed day? Part of it, I know, is wishing God's blessing on you. You know, the more colloquial way is to say, have a good day, right? It's kind of the, the I, I see it as kind of the believer's way of telling you to have a good day, but have a blessed day, because they know that if you have a good day, it's because God's blessing that day is resting on you. And so when I take it when someone tells me, have a blessed day, they're, they're wishing God's blessing on me for that day. Then when I come to the end of it, I might say, have it a good day. My wife was communicating with one of our sons by text last evening, and she was asking him about his day. And he wrote back and said, told her all that he'd been able to accomplish in the day. He said, it's been a good day. It's been a good day. It's been a blessed day. And isn't that what all of us want? We want to have blessed days. But I want to expand on that this morning. And I want us to think not just about what it is to have a blessed day, but what it is to have a blessed life. Because isn't that what really all of us want? Is to have a life that is full of blessing from the Lord. A richly blessed life. Now, that looks different for different people. For some people, a blessed life is having lots of material things. Nice scar, biggest house, best clothes. For others, a blessed life is having personal success. Being first in your class, climbing to the top of the corporate ladder having some position of power or influence. For others, a blessed life is far more simple. Being a part of a loving and caring family, having a few good friends you can count on, uh, belonging to a good church, and just being able to enjoy some of the simple pleasures of life. The, the, The blessed life, you see, is a rather subjective concept. But there's nothing subjective about what Peter tells us in these verses from 1 Peter 3 about what I think is God's understanding of a blessed life. Of course, the greatest blessing, let's be clear, the greatest blessing in life, and the one thing that makes your life blessed above all other things is knowing that you're saved, having salvation knowing that Jesus is your personal Savior of sin and that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Folks, if you can say that this morning, regardless what else there is taking place in your life, you are blessed and your life is blessed. You see, a blessed life is one lived under the umbrella of the providence of God, lived with the knowledge of God, lived with the sense of seeking first the kingdom of God, And a life lived in the presence of God. Now again, as I mentioned earlier, in the latter part of chapter 2, and here in chapter 3, 
Peter's been describing how it is that we live out our faith in these different areas of life. Government, workplace, home. You can add other places of society there, the church. And I think what Peter is saying here is he sums it up, and that's what he says here in verse 8, to sum up, to kind of put it all together, he's, he's saying. He gives us these following admonitions. But what he's saying here is that if you want to live a blessed life in relationship to, to society in general, to the government, if you want to live, live a blessed life out there, if you want to blessed, be a, live a blessed life where you live and work every day, where, where your occupation takes you, whether it's in the home as a homemaker or where it's a in the workplace, out somewhere, or if you want to live a blessed life in your home or in the church, then there are certain attitudes you ought to have, certain characteristics you must have if you're going to live a blessed life. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as we come to these verses in the middle of this chapter. Two things I want you to see about a blessed life from this text. And first, it's the nature of the character of a blessed life. How, how does Peter describe it here? It's interesting. He describes it on the horizontal level. You know, if you've been here long, you, you know I like to talk about the two perspectives of life. How there's a, there's a vertical perspective how, in our relationship with God and how important that is and how it covers everything else that we do. But also there's the horizontal level about how we relate to each other how we live out our faith wherever God puts us. And here, uh, Peter talks about a blessed life in regard to our relationship with, with, with other believers and with unbelievers. Look at what he says in verse 8 about our relationships with other believers. To sum up, he says, all of you, you know, he says all of you, that means you know, nobody's exempt here. <laughs> All of you be like this, harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. What an amazing description of someone who lives a blessed life or a good life. Five character traits. And if you're going to live a blessed life, Demonstrating these five character traits will go a long way to assist you. I'm going to look at each one of them briefly. He says, you are to be harmonious. The Greek word there means same think, or to think the same way. One of the most important characteristics, folks, of the Christian community is harmony. Now, we have a wonderful choir here at North Point. And many times they will sing a cappella. And, and the, the rich blessing, I hope you recognize that about our choir, is their ability to sing in harmony. In the same key, on the same note. And how beautiful it is. When those choir members, there must have been 20 of them this morning, 
sing together in harmony. And that's the way Peter says the Christian community is to be. We're to be in harmony with each other. Now, that doesn't mean that we must always agree with every one on everything. But it does mean that even in our areas of disagreement, we get along. And we are harmonious about it. We're not critical of each other or suspicious of each other. When, when Paul wrote the Philippians a letter, he talked about wanting to come to Philippi to visit those believers. And he, he said this, I hope that when I come, I'll find you striving with one mind for the cause of the gospel. That's what, that's what this word harmony means. It means striving together with one mind, focused on what matters the most. Harmony. If you want to live a blessed life, folks, you need to try to avoid conflict and strife. We've got people in here who can tell you about that. Now, a life of conflict is a difficult life. And the more you find and experience harmony in your life, the more blessed your life will be. You're also to be, he says, sympathetic. Sympathy is showing concern or interest in the needs of others. You know, harmony was uh, thinking the same thing. Sympathy is kind of feeling the same thing. Sympathy is rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffers, the others suffer with it. If one member is honored, the others are honored with it. Folks, that's a significant part of a blessed life within the Christian community is being sympathetic to those who are broken and hurting, coming alongside them to encourage them and to pray for them, and then to rejoice with those who rejoice, to congratulate those whom God has blessed, to come alongside and pat them on the back and, and tell them how proud you are of them. Sympathy. The more sympathetic you are, the more blessed your life will be. He also says we're to be brotherly. The root of that word actually is love. In fact, some uh, texts use the, the phrase love as brothers. Love. Brotherly. It is to characterize the believers. Love is to be one of the shining traits of the church. One of my desires, one of my greatest desires, people come in here, visit us, they go away scratching their heads saying, my, how they love one another. Because the genuine love for other believers is a sign of a genuine work of God in our hearts. You know, one of the constant themes over and over in the Bible is the importance of love. You know, when Jesus was asked about the Ten Commandments, he summarized them in love. Love for God. Love for others. 
You're also, he says, to be kind-hearted. I wish I could explain that word. We just don't have an English word that conveys what, what, uh, what Peter is saying here. The, the word really refers to your inward parts. It kind of reflects being so moved by someone's situation that you've, you've, you've had that before, haven't you? Some of you probably felt that when I, when I read that email this morning. You're, 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 you're just kind of gripped within yourself. Being so touched by the needs and the situations of others that all you can do is express kindness to them. Trying to help them to feel deeply about the needs and the circumstances and situations of others. And then he says we're to be humble in spirit. I think it can be said that humility is one of the greatest virtues of the Christian life. The Bible says, you know, God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. There's no place for pride, either in our relationship with God or in our relationships with each other. We're to be broken and contrite before Him, and we are to be humble in our relationships with each other. I'm consider, I am to consider, it's a God-given responsibility. I am to consider your needs more important than my own, and you to be more important than myself. Now, how does that all fit into what we're talking about here it is that if you live this way if you live seeking to have those five character traits in your relationships with other believers harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind hearted and humble I can guarantee you go a long way to making your life more blessed. Look, just just look at the flip side of each one of these. If you're out of harmony with other people, let's just say if you're contrary. If you don't really care about other people, you're so into yourself, you're not very sympathetic to others. If you don't have a real love for others, especially an unconditional love that embraces somebody regardless of where they are in life. If you don't reach out in kindness to others, if you're puffed up and proud, I can guarantee you, your life is going to be hard. See? Peter's telling us how to live a blessed life here. A blessed life is focused on others and not focused on self. But then he moves on to talk about how a blessed life is also tied to our relationship with with unbelievers. Specifically in verse 9, he mentions those who do bad things to you, who mistreat you, who hurt your feelings, who embarrass you, who take advantage of you, or who insult you. How you react in those situations says a lot about your faith. And how you deal with those situations goes a long way in determining how blessed 
or not your life will be. Now, the basic admonition he gives us in verse 9 is when those things happen, when someone mistreats you, takes advantage of you, insults you, embarrasses you, whatever it might be, do not try to get even. Do not get revenge. Don't lash back. But rather, try to be a blessing instead. Look at verse 9. Not returning evil for evil, nor insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You see, the more secure you are in your relationship with Jesus, the greater your faith in him, the easier it will be to live that way. The more insecure you are in Christ, the more tempting you will be to, to lash out, to get back, to get even, to take your own revenge. Look with me and keep your finger in 1 Peter chapter 3 and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, which is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, Matthew five, thirty-eight and following. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the very thing Peter's saying you ought not to do. But I say to you, this is what Jesus says. Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It's the very example Jesus set for us himself, wasn't it? If you look back with me in First Peter chapter 2, the text we looked at a few weeks ago, where it describes that very attitude of Jesus. End of verse 21. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Now that's hard to do. Because folks, our natural inclination and our sinful nature is to get back is to get even, is to take our revenge. And yet Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. We need both the example of Jesus and we need the help of Jesus to be able to live that way. You see, instead of reacting by the way of the world, we're to react by the way of Christ, which means... Loving your enemies, praying for your enemies, doing good to those who harm you. If you'll look with me again to keep your finger in First Peter, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. We'll probably in our themes from Proverbs look at um, how we're to deal with people that don't like us. 
Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You heard of killing him with kindness? That's what, that's what the Bible says. Kill him with kindness. Do good to those who do bad to you. Seek to be a blessing to those who try to harm you. And, and so what are we finding here? We're finding, look, if you want to live a blessed life in all the different areas of life where God takes you, then live this way. Be harmonious, sympathetic, kind-hearted, brotherly, humble. Don't try to get even. That's a futile exercise. You know, God's going to take care of it. Leave room for God to deal with whoever it is is your enemy so you can love them and be a blessing to them. Well, second, and this will be much shorter, we find the motivation for living this way or pursuing a blessed life. That is, you know, why should we be concerned about this? Peter gives us four reasons. I'm going to touch on them briefly. And one motivation is because it's just simply part of your calling as a Christian. Look with me again at verse verse 9. Middle of verse, verse 9. For you were called. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Look back with me. He said the same thing in chapter 2, verse 21. For you've been called for this purpose. See, part of your calling as a Christian is to live out your faith. Wherever God puts you, you're to be the light that shines in the darkness. You're to be the, the salt that kind of prevents the complete rot of a society broken by the fall. You're to be a peacemaker, an instrument of God's peace wherever He leads you or puts you. You've been called for this purpose. You see, God doesn't call us to Himself just to give us eternal life. Becoming a Christian is not all about having our sins forgiven and knowing that we have the promise of heaven. The call to be a Christian is a call to faithfulness, to commitment, to holiness. To be his and to demonstrate what that means wherever you are. For these people we've been praying for in these other countries who are suffering for their faith, folks, that's God's called them to that. He's called them to that. And He's called them to be strong in the midst of great danger. But the call in your life is no different. It's part of your calling to live in a way that, you know, identifies you as, as His. Makes you different in some ways from those who don't trust in Him. And so, one motivation for seeking to live this way and to 
live in this blessed way is because God calls us to it. Then a second motivation is because it's, it's part of obedience to God. Look at, look at verses 10 and 11. You know, the path of obedience is the path of blessing. That's what, it, that's what you try to teach your children, isn't it? Look, if you just do what I say, your life will be so much better. If you just obey the rules, your situation's going to be so much happier. It is true, folks. The straight and narrow path is the blessed path. You know, we, we knock ourselves out getting our children to try to understand that, but we struggle with it ourselves, don't we? It's when we get outside that straight and narrow path. That's when life really, really struggles. Look at, look at verses 10, 11, 4. The one who desires life. That's where I got this title for this sermon. The one who desires life to love and see good days. That's what we're talking about here. What must he do? Must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to have, have good days, then walk in the path of obedience. The third motivation is because God's eyes are on you. He quotes from Psalm 34 here, actually. Look at verse 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Now, the eyes of the Lord is just a common way in the Old Testament, especially of, of God's attention and care being upon His people. God knows us. You know, we believe God is omnipresent. He is always present everywhere David says, there's nowhere I can go to escape God. He always sees. And he always knows. And that is a powerful motivation for living the way that he prescribes. You know, it's a sad reality. But many times, simply knowing who is watching us makes a difference in our behavior. Your children... Obey better when you're in the room watching than when you're not. Employees work harder when the boss is on premises and when he's not. Students try harder when the teacher is watching and when she isn't. All of us do better we know someone's looking over our shoulder. How many times have you clicked at a website when somebody walked in the room? The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He sees and he knows. One other motivation that God hears our prayers when we live this way. Look at the end of verse 12. His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Kerry was talking about.
prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit in prayer this morning. And it is true that your life impacts your prayers. Psalm 66 does say, If I regard, cherish, iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. If you're harboring a sin, it's either hard to pray, you can't pray, or there's kind of like a wall between you and God, unless it's a prayer of confession and repentance. These are powerful motivations for living the way that God prescribes. It's true. People look for a blessed life in all kinds of directions. People knock themselves out, don't they? Trying to have this elusive commodity of what they think is a blessed life. I can just have this. If I can just go there. If I can just accomplish this, then my life will be blessed. And if you're there today, I want to tell you to stop. Stop. Just live the way God prescribes for you to live. Be the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that God wants you to be. Walk in the path of obedience. Be a blessing to those around you. And I guarantee you, your life will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray for grace for all of us to live and to walk in the way of Christ, to live as His, that our lives might truly be blessed. We ask it in His name. Amen.